following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. I'm always afraid that like adults are going to go, you know, like just stand up, walk out with them. If you would, open up your Bible uh, or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We're in the book of Jonah. And uh, I know that might be kind of hard to find if you have an actual uh, hard <laughs> cover of the, the Bible or an actual um, like tangible version of the Bible that's not electronic. Uh, that's what the table of contents is for, but let me get you there. The first five books of the Bible um, are called the Torah or the Law. So you have Genesis, you have Exodus, you have Numbers and Deuteronomy. And what we see there in the Law is this is, this is uh, essentially God creates man, right? And man falls from God. And so God says, you're a little slow. And so I need to give you what you need to do and what, uh, what you need not to do. And so that's why we have the first five books of the Bible. Um, if you read the first five books of the Bible, it won't take you long to realize just how much you fall short of the glory of God. And then after that, uh, God really makes it easy for us. And what he does is he essentially gives us a bunch of examples in the history of Israel on people who followed after God and did what he, he was supposed to do or she was supposed to do. And then people who kind of fell short of that. So those are all the examples that we have in the next section of scripture called the history books. And then you get into wisdom literature, which is like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and we kind of learn how to be wise. Uh, I would highly recommend if you want to read a proverb a day, it keeps the devil at bay. I stole that, so you can have it and you can steal it too as well, all right? Um, and then you get into these prophetical books. And prophets are divided into two categories. You have major prophets and then you have minor prophets. And it's really easy to figure out who the major ones are and who the minor ones are. Major prophets are big books, minor prophets are small books, okay? So Jonah, having four chapters, he would be what we would call a minor prophet. Jonah writes primarily in the third person because he's clever like that, and he, um, if you look at verse one, really shows us a little bit about who he is and where he's from. It is believed that Jonah is about 775 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Old Testament points to Christ who will come. He is the Messiah. New Testament points back to Christ who came. So Jesus is this like right middle ground between the Old and the New Testaments. And so 775 years before Jesus, here we have Jonah. In that first verse, look at it. It says, the word of the Lord came, we'll get there in just a second, to a man named Jonah, and he's the son of Amittai. Some people say that a little bit different, but we're going to stick to that one, all right? And 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, is the parallel passage that we have to see some of these things transpire. Now, Jonah is from a town near Nazareth, and this area would later be known as the Galilee. Who else do we know that did some work in the Galilee? That's Jesus, okay? So we see that Jonah has a lot of resemblance in regards to Jesus 
and some of the things that will transpire in Jesus's ministry. As a matter of fact, Jonah is one of the few prophets from the Old Testament northern kingdom. And that's for you guys who kind of know your Bible really well for us. It's okay. That's just a little bit of an interesting tidbit. But he writes on some themes that are crucial to all of us. He writes on disobedience. He writes on revival. He writes on mercy and grace and justice. Now, we look at Jonah as this Old Testament prophet. We would say to ourselves, you know, like, this has no bearing on our society today. How can something that old have so much significance on our life? Well, in Jonah's day, there's this king, and he was ruling, and he is an evil king before the Lord. In 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you get all of these individuals who essentially do what God wants them to do, and it goes well with them, or don't do what God wants them to do, and it doesn't go well with them. But it's not just in regards to them, it's in regards to the nation. So this guy is evil, his name's Jeroboam II, and he is influencing Israel and other nations to be worldly and to increase in promoting themselves. Sound familiar? All right, so as this happens and transpires, people are going away from God's will, they're going away from God's word, and they're going away from God's ways. And Jonah, as a prophet, is supposed to call people to repentance, call people back to God, worship the living God. There's life to be found there. So when we look at Jonah, we realize that this book is super important for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is one of the most personal books in the entire Old Testament. Jonah's given a mission by God, but he's afraid to do what God wants him to do. You ever been there? God's given us commands and scriptures, but you look at those and you go, man, I don't know if I can do that. God wants Jonah to do one thing, repent himself and call people to repentance. But Jonah wants to do something else. So we learn from Jonah. We learn about these specifics from God. And if we run from him, we realize that you can't hide from the Lord. And so here we see in Jonah that life is better obediently following the Lord. Our first call in the personal charge from Jonah is, don't be like him. Submit to the will of the Lord without delay. Number two, Jonah points to Jesus. This is probably one of the most powerful little books packed away in Scripture because it constantly points us to this messianic figure who will come, and his name is Christ. Jonah is one of four Old Testament prophetical writings that Jesus mentions himself by name during his earthly ministry. Well, who are the other three? All right, I'll give them to you. Isaiah, Daniel, and Zechariah. Jesus also identifies himself with Jonah when he foreshadows his own death, where he'll spend three days like Jonah in the fish, not a whale, in the heart of the earth before his resurrection. So this is huge. This is a prophetical link to a prophetical chain, and it gives us a glimpse of Jesus' death and resurrection hundreds of years before it transpired. What else? Last thing. This book is littered with God's love and his mercy and his grace. In Jonah, you're going to see that God manifests or makes known his love to Jonah and every other person who is present in the text. 
So when you're reading this text, you look at it and you think, God doesn't know about my reputation. God doesn't know about my nationality. God doesn't know about my race. That's false, false, false. God knows. He cares. He's concerned. And he does the work under the skin. And his desire is no matter where you come from, no matter what you're known for, or no matter who you are, that you would become a new creation in Christ and see that life is to be lived in the fullness of the gospel. So this is an invitation to repent, turn from sin, and follow the living God. Because all of us, we've tried to follow other ways, and they just don't work. So the theme in Jonah is repentance. All right, verse 1. Let's look at that. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he says... Kind of like in a Morgan Freeman voice. Arise. I'm just kidding. I can't do that. I don't think God sounds like Morgan Freeman. He sounds like God. That's enough said. All right. Arise and go to Nineveh, which is a great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come upon that nation before me. Verse 3. Jonah This is in the parentheticals. It's not in the original Hebrew. Did the opposite. (laughs) He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship going to Tarshish. And so he pays the fare. He goes on board. And he goes with this crew of merry men away from the presence of the Lord. And all of us say, what a moron. But I think I would have gone too. All right? Why is repentance so important? Because God desires and demands repentance. Repentance is so important because God desires it and he demands it in our life. Underline, if you would, the word of the Lord came. That phrase goes all the way back to Genesis 15, verse 1 through 4. God spoke in Genesis 15 to Abram in a vision. And so every time you see this in the Old Testament, there is a prophetic, God-given word of revelation. Deuteronomy 34, 1 Samuel 3, 1 Kings 6, Isaiah 39, Jeremiah chapter 1, Ezekiel 6, Hosea 1, Joel 1, Micah 1, Zephaniah 1, Haggai 1, Zechariah 1. Get my point? All the word of the Lord all line up with very similar meanings. So we would say it's an Old Testament thing, right? Nope. It's a New Testament thing too. God used the word of the Lord to be manifested before us in bodily form when we see Jesus. God did not create Jesus. Okay? God is God, and he poured out himself as a drink offering to show us who he is in Christ. Jesus is 100% man, but at the same time, he's 100% God. He is the word of God in front of us, in our very eyes. Luke chapter 22, verse 61 says, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered Jesus. It's also in Acts. It's also in 1 Peter, 1 Thessalonians as well. So when the Bible uses the word of the Lord, it's like, stop. Look at this. This is important. These are the inspired words. Words of God. And here it comes to Jonah. What does he want Jonah to do? Well, he wants to do what Matthew 28 says. Go and tell. Go 
and tell all the people. That's a children's song um, that I constantly sing all week because of this. Jonah is commanded by God to go to the capital city of Nineveh. Now, if you want to circle Nineveh, you can. It is the capital of Assyria and a longtime enemy of Israel. Ready for this? It's modern-day Iraq. That kind of like puts some, some, some things up in our mind. Nineveh is a great city that is built as a capital city of Assyria by a man named Nimrod. Never name your kid Nimrod. <laughs> Don't think that's healthy, okay? Listen to how parallel this society is with ours today. They're known for wealth, power, prestige, and many cruel people who worship idols. And God grew tired of their disobedience. Look what it says in the text, verse 2. Their evil has come up before me. And what is Jonah supposed to do? You're supposed to go and you're supposed to tell these people to repent, to turn back to God. And like Jonah, God calls all people to repent. Now, pause for a second. What does it mean to repent? That word, repent, is not a change of mind where you're regretful or remorseful for the wrongs that you have done. True repentance is when you are regretful and remorseful of the things you have done and it causes the heart to change. You tracking? Because Judas in Matthew 27 betrayed Jesus and he had a head change, but he didn't have a heart change. And so a lot of us are mad because we got our hand caught in the cookie jar, but Jesus looks at us and he says, you got to change your heart to not even want the cookie jar. True repentance is where somebody allows the Lord to have total control and access of their everyday life. It is when we look at God and we say, relentlessly pursue what is internally transpiring in my life that is not of you and destroy it and help me to be fully obedient to all your commands. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. So Jesus' mission, like Jonah, to all believers, was a call for sinners to repent. In Luke chapter 5, it says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And unless you repent, you too will perish. And so when Jesus leaves the disciples, he commands them that they take his message of repentance and faith to all the nations. If Jonah's called to preach repentance, so are we as followers of Christ. And I believe with all of my heart to not do that is for us to be disobedient to God's word. And if we're going to be disobedient to God's word, that's sin. So if you know of something that's transpiring in your life that is not of God and you fail to open your mouth and call people to repentance, it is a sin. So our response, based off of what's transpiring in verse 2, is am I going to be obedient to this or not obedient to this? Now Jonah does what I would do. I'm just going to be fully transparent with you right here. He just is like, I'm out. He leaves his home. And he returns, and he, he doesn't just leave it. He runs to Joppa. Now, you probably don't know where that's at, but that's a coastal city who had boats, obviously. And he takes this boat, ready for this? 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. 
Now, he doesn't have a car. He doesn't have like a horsepower motor on the back of his boat, right? And he's, he's out. Jonah's telling God, hard pass. I don't want to go to the destination, nor do I want to go to the people. Now, pause here for a second because this is outstanding. Why does he not want to go? Because Jonah is a prophet who loves the Lord. And he detests idolatrous, proud, and ruthless people like these Assyrians and their ungodly nation. And so what Jonah does is he runs, and we learn why he runs in verse 2 of chapter 4. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Because I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. I know that you're slow to anger and you're abounding in love and you're a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, Jonah wants Nineveh destroyed. Jonah felt like they deserved God's judgment. Jonah doesn't want his enemies to get the same mercy and grace that he had been given. And the same is true in my life and the same is true in your life. I look at my enemies all the time and I'm like, there's no way that you should get the grace of God that I've gotten. And by all means, you shouldn't be promoted or elevated more than I'm promoted or elevated. But when people come to know Christ, it's not about first place, second place, third place. It's about God being glorified and we should praise the Lord when our enemies repent themselves and come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. But we look at this all the time. We say, he's my God. He's not your God. He's my God. And God's salvation is available to all who repent. Here's how this breaks down in your everyday life. Do you want your coworkers to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Let me, let me just go a step further. Do you want your spouse to love Jesus the same way that you love Jesus? Do you want your children to love the Lord the way that you love the Lord? Because I think if we were to look at it through the American lens that we have manifested for ourselves, we are too concerned about us being elevated and not God being elevated, and we would care less about people underneath of us. And so we're not quick to pick people up. We're quick to push people down and say, he's my God, he's not your God. It's my grace, it's not your grace. Selfish, selfish, selfish. And I'm just talking about myself. That's where I sit sometimes. But God's salvation is to all people who repent, not just people we like or people we choose. His desire is that you go tell all people. Repentance is interesting. It's not just a religious word. It comes from a culture of nomadic people who live without maps or street signs. I know that's kind of hard to think about. And it's easy to get lost when you become aware of your strange surroundings and to say to yourself, I'm going in the wrong direction. The first act of obedience and repentance is saying, I'm going in the wrong direction. The second act is to go an alternate direction. A fool continues to walk in the same direction. And it implies that you do this and you ask others to do it as well. So God's desire here in the first three verses is we repent and call others to repentance as well. How are you doing here? Woo! I thought this was going to be encouraging. All right, verse 4. <clears throat> But the Lord, oh boy, but the sovereign Lord hurled. He didn't just bring it in slow. I love this. He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there's a mighty tempest 
on the sea. And the ship threatened to break up. Now, what I think is interesting about Jonah is, first and foremost, he goes to the land to run away from God, and then he's like, eh, we'll go further. Let's, let's, let's go on some water, right? And then the worst part is he takes some people with him. And the mariners were afraid, no duh. Each of these mariners cried out to his own God, and they hurled cargo into the ship. And let's pause there for just a second. Notice in verse 4, a focus shift. It goes from Jonah to God. And what we see here is repentance enables growth. And you're going to see growth happen all throughout the remaining verses of this scripture. God is seeking to accomplish repentance for Jonah now and for others. And he's going to show his sovereignty over all of these events. And I got four observations for you and then I'm out your way. Number one, in verse four and verse five, repentance often comes in times of distress. Are you in distress right now in your life? Are you finding some things with a little rocky, you know, life's not going that well or whatever? That might be a, an indicator that you are called to repent. God hurls a great wind upon the Mediterranean Sea and a mighty tempest, and that word it just means a violent storm, which I think is interesting because the same word there um, in the Greek is used to describe the storm that Jesus calmed in Matthew chapter 8. And the sailors are very similar to the disciples. And they're terrified. They think this ship is going to be destroyed. So they, like good pagans, like cry out to their God. And look at this. He says they hurled, verse 4, uh, they hurled all of the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. First observation is this is selfish, but it's going to turn a little bit here. And so God is trying to get both Jonah's attention and the sailor's attention at the same time all through distress. All through a season of distress. When we go through seasons of distress, we're oftentimes asking God to just take us to the other side when he says, I want to teach you while you're in the storm. Max Lucado says it like this. He says, God never promised to remove us from any sort of struggle. He does promise, however, to change the way we look at it. And so repentance in distress lightens the load of pain. Repentance in distress is humility in action. So if I have a season in my life where I'm finding myself distressed, the first thing that I should probably do is repent of something that's going on, an awareness of my personal sin that I know is transpiring, or just asking God to forgive my sin that I don't even know about. Because, I mean, I'm married, so there's things I do wrong I don't even know I did wrong, right? Amen? Anyone? All right, I'll be on my, my own team. Repentance in distress lightens the load of pain. Now, I didn't say like physical pain. I'm talking about emotional pain. The problem with us so oftentimes is why we're experiencing internal pain is because we're too prideful to ask God to forgive us of our sins. And so verse 5, look at this. <clears throat> but Jonah is in serious depression, and he goes down into the inner part of the ship, and he lays down, and he's fast asleep. <laughs> and the captain comes. I love this. And he says to Jonah, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> You're sleeping? How about you do what everybody else is doing? Call out to your God, and perhaps the God that you worship will give thought to us that we may not perish. 
And so here we see there is repentance in complacency and apathy. Jonah's complacent, apathetic, and extremely depressed. Depressed people sleep in times of problems. Desperate, pagan captain comes, and he knows every god was called on except Jonah's. And when asked why, Jonah could have cared less. His complacency is on full display here. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. The fact that we're apathetic about things as Americans is a big problem. Christ waits to be wanted. It's just too bad that with so many of us, he waits in vain. Complacency is a killer to all spiritual growth. So here, I'm just going to walk this through about what I've been studying this past week, and you see if you're in the same boat. Seasons of distress, God calls me to repent. When I become complacent and apathetic, God calls me to repent, to awaken from my spiritual apathy and not be complacent or apathetic about my faith, and calls people to do the same. Now, something really interesting happens here in verse 7. Look at this. And the cast lots. No, (laughs) this is, I think this is hilarious. The captain, now keep in mind, there's like a wicked storm going on. How are we having conversations here? Like, that's just my question. Like, they got to be yelling at each other, right? Like, these guys are on the deck, and they're talking to each other, and they're like, hey, got an idea. Let's cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. Good idea. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, no doubt. And they said to him, so they come down, right? They had to come down. They see the captain, they see Jonah, and they say, hey, and I I can just visualize this. They're screaming at him. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? What's going on? What's transpiring? And he said to them, probably through lazy eyes, I'm a Hebrew, and I think he said it quietly so they don't hear him, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who makes the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said, what have you done? That's like a parent, right? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Now watch this. This, I I do this all the time. There has to be repentance here from being vague. Jonah is so vague Jonah and the captain are having this conversation. The sailors come in. They cast lots, which means they mark stones in a container. God, in his sovereignty, points to Jonah, common practice in Israel in the Near East. And notice Jonah doesn't say he's a prophet. He just gives him his nationality. Now, I'm a Hebrew. And he declares he fears the Lord. He says what he worships. And Jonah describes God, sure, as the living God, as the God of heaven, and all of those things, but he's way too vague. And thank God, he works in our vagueness. Larry Moyer says it like this. He says, be clear, be clear, be clear, because we think that Jonah shares his faith here, and he doesn't. He simply acknowledges who he worships and shows his disobedience to it. And we do the same thing. It's called Christianese. So when we give people these big words that they have no idea what we're talking about. I'm just sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. What does that even mean? 
I just can't wait till the glorification comes when God calls me home. What does that even mean? You don't even know what that means. You heard a pastor say it, and then you just echoed it back, and it doesn't work. So he's giving Christianese. It's like a cancer that kills every evangelistic endeavor. And thank God he works through it, but he shouldn't have to work through it. The only reason that God works through this is because, look at right there in verse 9 at the second part, Jonah alludes to the fact that he made the sea and the dry land. And so the sailors, who aren't stupid, look at it and say, well, if he made the sea and the land, this is a problem. Jonah is sitting here and he's vague. We need to be clear and transparent. And he should have said, I worship the living God, the creator of the sea and the dry land, and I'm being rebellious to him. I need to repent, and you should repent as well. What is this thing that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Isn't it interesting that probably secular people in your life understand your sin better than you do? So there's this vagueness, and these guys are starting to see things in a different way. Look at verse 10. And when the men were exceedingly afraid, they said to him, what is this that you have done? Verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you? That's a good question. That the sea may quiet down for us. Secular men are starting to understand mercy and grace, for the sea grows more and more tempest, and they realize that if Jonah worships the living God, and obviously he did something to make the living God mad, what should we do? And they try to give him grace. They try to do things. They, they, they don't want this. And Jonah says, just pick me up and hurl me into the sea. That the sea may quiet down for you. Now look at the second part of that verse. For I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men did not want to do this thing. They rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't. For the sea grew more and more tempest, <laughs> tempestuous against them. And they called out to the Lord because Jonah wouldn't. And they said, Lord, we don't want to die. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done, uh, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and their last resort was to throw him into the sea. So if I have to repent of seasons in my life where I'm in distress, Complacency, apathy, being vague. The big one is being stubborn. The sailors can't understand why Jonah disobeyed his God. There are people in your life right now who can't understand why you call yourself a Christian and continue in habitual sin. There are people in your world who cannot understand. They say, you follow Jesus, but you are so far from Jesus. Why does Jonah disobey here? And they're reluctant to throw him overboard. And so one act of obedience calms the storm. One party repents, but the other stays disobedient. John Maxwell says it like this. He says, a man must be big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. Proverbs 15 says, or 12, verse 15 says it way better. A stubborn fool considers his own way the right one. <laughs> but a person who listens to advice is wise. God's word loves to point us back to humility, to be teachable and to be trainable, to be open to his will and his word and his ways. This is why Jesus chose the disciples and not the Pharisees. 
A.W. Tozer, and by the way, Tozer's name is spelled wrong because I used to have a dog, and we named him Tozer, and that's how we spelled his name, and it shouldn't have a W in it, but it's just something I noticed, and he probably had no idea. But he says it like this. He says, we must learn to live with problems until such a time as God delivers us from them. We have to pray for grace to endure them without murmuring, do all things without complaining or grumbling. Problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or when we're stubborn or endure them unwillingly. Even in unrepentance, look at verse 17 as the chapter closes. And the Lord anointed. Jonah had no idea there's a great fish at the bottom of the sea. And notice it says great fish and not a whale. My Sunday school teacher lied to me. I always thought it was a blue whale. It's not a whale. It's just this fish. Who knows? Swallow up Jonah. I think it's amazing. I always wonder, like, when did he get swallowed up, right? Throw him off the boat. Starts to sink like a bowling ball, right? And all of a sudden, like, or did it happen right off the start? Because I think Jonah, full of sin, probably floated a little bit. Personal observation. Usually men who are puffed up float. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. All right. (laughs) This is one of four things that God will provide for Jonah. What 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 do we learn from that? He's got a second chances, third chances, and a hundred chances. I thank the Lord, because I think if, if we were to just stop there, like, that's so discouraging. But look at this. God works in my distress. God works in complacency and apathy. God works in vagueness. God works in stubbornness when people are repentant. God works here. He is sovereign over all of this situation and his grace is on full display. Now notice here, just, you can just make a note because this, this is really just something that we allude to in the New Testament. Uh, for three days and three nights is not 72 hour period. It's one 24-hour day and parts of two other days that Jonah lives there. And Jesus said his burial would be the same length of time. Because where Jonah falls, Jesus fulfills. Now, my favorite passage in the Bible, by far, hands down, is 1 John 1.9. Because it says, if we confess our sins, if we repent then he is faithful. Sometimes we forget God's faithfulness because we're not repentant. And he will forgive us of our sins. Sometimes we don't find forgiveness because we don't repent. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we don't have righteousness because, I didn't say you weren't saved. I just said sometimes we don't have righteousness because we aren't repentant. Unrepentance is disobedience, but repentance is restoration. Psalm chapter 51, verse 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey him. That should be our prayer this morning. So let's pray it. Heavenly Father, we call you Father because you call us your children when we enter into relationship with you through faith in Christ. You call us to repent, which many of us have done This morning, we have repented of our sin. We said we're a sinner. We missed the mark. 
We trust in Christ's blood that is shed on the cross to cover our sins. And we are so thankful and grateful that you called us into relationship with you. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Humble yourself, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus. He is not a condemnation, he is a salvation for those who would believe. So many of us, Lord, we are sitting in this pew. I sat all week and talked to you about this, that you would reveal to me my own personal sins, my own problems, my own stubbornness, ways that I'm vague, ways that I'm complacent and apathetic. And there are things in my life that I know I find myself in distress about, and it's, it's my own fault, and you call me to repent. And so as you and I have talked this this entire week, God, I pray the same thing for our congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to these people today through the power of the Holy Spirit the power of repentance. We have all tried to turn away from your word. And what an example Jonah is to us. Are you faithless? Repent. Ask God to help you be faithful. The Lord will forgive us for the times that we have turned away from him. He is ready and willing to send us. He calls us to repentance. Are you here this morning and maybe you and your spouse had an argument before you got here? Tell her you're sorry. Tell him you're sorry. Repent of that. Restore that relationship. Maybe you had a hardship here with your kids. Maybe there was a coworker situation. Maybe it was just a total catastrophe before you even entered into this place. It is amazing what one I'm sorry does to restore things. One heartfelt act of repentance. And the living God has the ability to restore all things. Don't ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. Don't leave this place without getting right with somebody. We so often are great grace getters, but we're not good grace givers. Lord, we repent because we want you to elevate us and we forget that this life is to be lived just as much horizontally as it is to be lived vertically. And so may we carry one another's burdens and may we come beside each other and may we lift one another up as we see the day approaching. Humble us. Make us repentant. We believe that you are able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. Help us not to continue to go down, down, down like Jonah. But may we realize that you are the great lifter of our head and you give us the ability to be in a relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.